99 drinks still left to go Welcome all in and enjoy the show It's me though with E, I'm the host You know, so sit back, relax, grab a snack and let's go Welcome back to episode two of the 99 Trees podcast. I'm Rawari and today I'm joined by a very special guest. We got Jaden Waiwari here in the tutty, live in the 99 Dreams tutty today. Jada, what's good? Welcome and thank you so much for coming on the show. Good my bro. Thanks for uh, having me. It's a very uh, honor to be here, to be honest. Um, myself, this is a first for me and um, I hope to uh, have an interesting podcast and some real good knowledge for everyone. And just some interesting corridor. So, yeah, thank you, bro. Oh, brotherhood, no doubt. I guarantee this guy's got some fire waiting to be released. So, guys, without getting too deep into the convo straight away, let's just figure out who J-Dub is or Jaden Waiwuri, who he is, where he's from, and let's get into it, bro. Whereabouts are you from, man? Yeah, cheers, bro. Um, we'll start with my pepeha, I think. That's a good way to make a connection with anyone listening. Um, so... Ko Tanaki Te Maunga, ko Waitara Te Awa, ko Tukumaru Te Waka, ko Uwai Te Marae, ko Te Atiawa Te Iwi, ko Waiwuri Toku Whanau, ko Michael Toku Papa, ko Cranley Toku Mama, ko Jaden Toku Ingoa. So, um, yeah, I'm, my name is Jaden Waiwuri. I'm 31 years old. I come from the great, great Waitara, um, born and raised here, um, I lived here most of my life until making a move when I was about 21 to go not too far from here to New Plymouth. But um, I've always had a amazing um, upbringing here in Waitara and the community here has just always been supportive and always been as one, especially when I was growing up. Um, you know, it's just one of those places that if you're part of it, you really know. And if you're not part of it, you wish you were. <laughs> but um, I grew up on a Demet Street where my mum and dad still are. And my mum's been there for her whole life, actually. So my my papa actually um, built that whare. And now um, my mum's still, still there. She, uh, for probably the rest of her days, I think, she won't be leaving anytime soon. Um, but Demet Street was my uh, stomping ground. We had a lot of uh, whānau on that street. Um, a lot of connections there that I still have today. Um it was just uh, one of those places that you knew everyone, and it's, uh, hopefully it's still like that now. But, um, yeah, it's always been that place that you call home when you get around there by those um, freezing works. You know your home right next door, next door to the car park. Um, and, you know, most of the whites of the community probably been to their freezing works as well <laughs> at some point or another, um, especially these days now. Um, but, yeah, um, it's always been a always been the place close to my heart Waitara I always represent when I can and uh, where else can I go from there so my mum and dad have been together since my mum was 14 they met at school and have always been together now um, they're still they're married they were married when I was nine and I was privileged enough to be part of that um, that marriage as well that during that day and seeing that um, they taught me a lot about relationships really um, how to deal with them because you know growing up they had a lot of uh, a lot of stuff there that I witnessed it was not always positive dad was into his league days you know his league um, kind of you know um, in the water of beers that was every weekend 
um, living that uh, rugby league lifestyle. But what comes with that was a lot of all the other side of things with the alcohol and the partying, and they'd always end up back at home. Um, so I saw a lot of that sort of stuff growing up. Um, with that comes the negative things too that we um, we need to talk about some days, you know. Um, wasn't always the best, you know, seeing mum and dad fight when they, were, when they were drinking and always drunk, and I was always in the other room with um, a few other kids probably, and um, it was never a good end to the night, so that really sculpted a lot of things for me as I grew up, um, a lot of things to be wary of, um, and probably a lot of things that I've still yet to challenge myself with, um, especially with the drinking and healthy relationships as well. Um, that's a very um, big thing for myself, especially now after a lot of experience um, in that field, I guess, having long relationships and what's healthy and what isn't. Um, anything else? Uh, so for myself now, um, I I work with in the iwi space. I provide pastoral care for Rangatahi on our work development program, which is based around environmental conservation and forestry. And I provide that pastoral care for those rangatahi on the on the program, which is an amazing job. I am really fortunate to be in this position. Um, I was kind of headhunted from my last position as well. As before that, I was in the YMCA, um, helping youth justice offenders get back on track on a Cisco program, and that was um, that gave me a lot of skills in that rangatahi space. And I'm really fortunate to have gained those. Um, but my my working life has been kind of all over the show because I never really, really knew what I wanted to do. Um, as a lot of us do growing up, and it's a big question that everyone kind of gets, eh? Yeah, 100%. Um, no one really knows what we want to do. And if you say you do, probably lie. <laughs> I, I think I wanted to be a firefighter. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a, I didn't want to be a doctor. Uh, I wanted to be a whole bunch of things, but what I knew what I didn't want to be. That's the one thing I knew what I didn't want to be. And that's yeah, stuck in that cycle that you briefly touched on. So one thing I think I would like to dive a little deeper in is how did that, um, you know, growing up around parties as, as a young child really influence how you are today? So growing up, I never really wanted to touch alcohol. Um, I, as a, at a young age, I said, oh, I'm never going to drink. I saw what it does, does to people, and I never wanted to. Um, and that lasted till I was about 15, 16. Uh, high school, you know, you go to parties, and that just goes from one thing to another, and you end up um, trying things as you do as a young person. And that was just, yeah, how it was. And I think nowadays I've gone through a lot of that side of life um, through all my 20s and the drinking and, and the drugs and all that stuff that comes with life. And um, now that I have a whanau, a big whanau too, which we can dive into later, because that's a whole nother corridor there, um, there's a lot more responsibility and, you know, you can't really go through life, keep on going that way. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to be that person that's continuously drinking every weekend. Um, it just doesn't help especially with responsibilities that I have in my life that can really, um, you know, have that as a bad, bad thing to come out of it. But, yeah. Yeah, no, it is tough. Um, 
growing up in those spaces and around those spaces, you know, everyone kind of says, oh, it was just the thing, you know, it was just the thing back then. But now times have changed. And I think a lot more of us who grew up through those times are more aware of those kind of situations. And we're consciously trying to make the effort to be the change that we wanted to see. Um, so how do you, how, how did you implement it at your previous mahi that helped you land where you are today? Um, so with my last role at the YMCA, I picked it up after taking a year off from working in Countdown. I worked in Countdown for a good seven years um, in the meat manager role, or before there was a meat supervisor. So just in that retail space, that was my first real um, adult job, I guess you could say. And by the seventh year, I had a chance with my partner now. Just She said, oh, if you're over it, take that time off, find something else that you like. Um, we can support you. And I really took that chance with two hands and um, took some time off. It was about a year, actually, which was I was quite lucky to have. Um, I had some money saved up to be able to support my whanau as well and myself. And um, from there, I found um, just on TradeMe, just some um, just uh, something on TradeMe saying um, youth, youth um, worker. I thought, man, that looks interesting, actually. I didn't know what it was. Um, I followed the, the link to that and put my CV in and I got a call up not too long after that and started an interview process with the YMCA and they really, from what I experience now, it's pretty hard to really put a, um, a label on what a youth worker is. Um, it can be so many different things, so many hats that you can wear at one time. Um, and from there, I spent a lot of time working with our youth justice offenders getting them, trying to get them back on track. You do 20 weeks um, to try and implement some changes, some life skills, um, trying to trying to get them on the straight and narrow or trying to find them onto further education or whatever that may look like. Um, to, my, to be honest, it wasn't long enough because there's a lot of, at that point, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff to unpack there that will take longer than 20 weeks. Um, so really it should be implemented at a younger age um, before it gets to that point, but you know, our, a lot of our rangatahi fall through those cracks, um, and they just don't have the chance or the, the actual, um, there's a lot of barriers in place for them. And from there, I did that for a good three, almost three years. Um, this role with Tupuanuku, which is the mahi I'm in now with Tikahui Maru, one of our local iwis with the Nati Maru Fano there. Um, we've got our approach to this pastoral care role. Um, and I absolutely love it. It's just another chance to really change, help change people's lives or young people's lives, our rangatahi, our future, um, to really give them, get rid of those barriers they may have to get into to mahi and to getting um, some, some life skills again. Um, they could be just you know getting their learner's license, which is a big thing at the moment, licensing, which is a big, big milestone for a lot of our rangatahi. It's a first real chance for them to be adults, to have some independence, um, and then just also providing that, that care and just actually knowing that there's someone there that cares for them, just at a drop of a hat, a message, just to say, hey, I need some help and I can be there for them. And I find that's really um, in tune with my personality as well. I find I'm like a, I'm a real good provider. I feel that I am, <laughs> especially with my whanau. Um, so it's really good to be able to place that in my in my mahi as well. Oh, wicked. That 
you can already hear the passion throughout that whole corridor there. Uh, it's great to see it. I always see this. Uh, he does amazing mahi whanau. And um, shout out to the Ngati Maru whanau. Amazing. Uh, one thing I was going to ask is, you know, have you ever thought about doing any type of academic study? Because this could be a wicked co-papa for postgraduate research and stuff like that, just listening to you talk about that there. Yeah. Mm. That is a, 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 a something that I can do through Mahi as well. A lot of personal development they apply um, for us, if whatever route we want to take. I did do some um, study with the YMCA, which I'm trying to continue now. The only thing I find myself is, you know, with, with schoolwork and any kind of work, I really didn't um, apply myself in high school. Um, I found that it was quite my downfall because I didn't know, really know what I wanted to do as well. Like I've mentioned earlier, um, the, we all have those um, those feelings of, oh, I want to be this, I want to be that, I want to be a builder, I want to be whatever. Um, when we're young, because it's, it's easy to say what you want to be when you're that age. <laughs> but by the time you get to high school, a lot of uh, pressure is on you, especially in, when I was younger, um, the pressure of what are you going to be for the rest of your life? And I feel that is a huge question that a lot of people still have to answer. Um, even in, you know, you could be in your 50s and still not know what you want to do. And that's fine, you know, as long as you find something you enjoy, um, I feel is what is worth. That's really what should be the question. What what do you enjoy and how do we get you paid for it? You know, that's that's just what I think. And that's what I try and implement, implement in my mahi is giving our rangatahi the many options as they can to figure out what it is. Give it a try. Don't like it? Cool, let's try something else. Don't like that? Cool, what is it you want to try? And just naturally trying to figure it out that way because they don't really know what it is until they dive in there or have, have some idea what that is, some work experience there or just take them to employers and see what they do because, you know, you never know what it is that you're into. And um, I feel that my generation, our generation, really had a lot of pressure when we were at high school to figure that out on the spot. <laughs> and if you mucked around and had to do fifth form again at year, you know, sixth form or if they call it year 12, um, you're always chasing your tail again. Fortunate for myself, I st stuck around till uh, oh, so year 13, um, seventh form, first one in, first ones in my whānau to do so, and I also managed to be head boy as well, white to the high school, and that was a massive um, push for me to really figure out what I wanted to do. Um, it gave me a lot of skills and um, confidence as well, and I feel there was a real pivotal moment for myself when I was growing up to have some responsibility, um, sort of figure out what is the future because it's about time to really dive into it and figure that out, um, you know. But then your life takes over once you leave school. It's the real world. And I just had to get to, get some money to live, you know, live your life. I was in a very toxic relationship for about seven years. Um, and that was, that's really defined me now or gave me a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? a lot more clarity on what I want in my life. Um, it's all part of the journey. And I feel like uh, that really helped me in the way in the end to really figure out what I do want in my life. Why do you think that affected you so much, being in that toxic relationship? And ha like, how did that inform a lot of your decisions when looking for a healthy relationship? Yeah, that's, um, that's something I had to really understand 
from the outside. I had to leave that place to figure out that it wasn't for me. Um, I really had to make a big decision at the time to to get away from it, to look from the outside. And a lot of people were telling me these things, but you get, you know, blinded by what you're into. Um, <clears throat> it's um, taught me a lot about what is healthy and what is expected. And it's taught me how to love myself first and foremost, to look after myself, to be able to love someone else as well. Um, but also to know that I need to be looked after as well. Um, I can't be the one always always doing the um you know the hard work i guess it's always a, it should be a two-way street and never should be a one-way street with that sort of thing um <clears throat> so seven years of that um to where i am now it's just you know you got to go through some lows to really find that that next high in your life that roller coaster we call life mm-hmm. and um yeah it really sculpted my personality while I was in it, I really didn't know who I was at the time. Um, there's a lot of arguments, a lot of fighting, a lot of a lot of that sort of stuff, and it wasn't healthy. And to where I am now in the relationship, I'm absolutely lucky to have who I have in my life now. And it's just amplified by how much love that I receive now as well, because I was just giving that love and not really receiving it in the same way. I guess you could say that's how I felt. And I don't know how it looked, but that doesn't really matter at that time. And where I am now, it's just um, just beautiful. We've got our own whare now. We've built our whare together with her, with her sister as well. Um, that's that's just been a huge journey for our whānau of 10. Um, seven kids, three adults ranging, you know, the kids range from one and a half through to 16, 17. And it's just all ages and stages, man. And that right there is just a, a huge huge part of my life and I really um, pride myself on my whānau as we all should and uh, you have an amazing whānau that, that's there bro um, it just radiates off of you mm. you can you can see it, you can feel it um, what's it like having such a supportive whānau around you like that, how is that important to what you get up to now I mean there's so many different emotions that happen with a big whānau like that you know, like I said, ages and stages you got teenagers going through their teenage years. You've got your babies going through their baby years. You've got the seven and, and eight, nine, ten, eleven year old um, area as well, which is a whole nother ball game. So we're all doing all at once. <laughs> it's just um, you know you just do it day by day. Really, you you got to take it on the chin, and you sort of uh, you just try and keep the love going. And you know, there's a lot of arguments that happen as kids do a lot of things they don't want to do around the house. Cause you gotta, you, you gotta act as a team when it's something like that. I was always trying to instill that in the kids is that we're a team first off, you know, we find out first off, but we're a team here as well. And we've got to get things done to keep our lives going. Um, but I, I think I really know that these kids are really good kids in the end. Um, they always, they've always been good kids. Um, we try and just instill our values into them. And we just hope that they become good people in the end. That's all we're trying to t- tell them is that we just want you to be good people and just, you know, be, be those good people we know you can be. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just a crazy, crazy, <laughs> crazy journey that we're having. Um, just going off, you know, my my, my stepson, Jakan, he's, he's 16 and he's going through a lot of things. He's just left school and he's got a part-time job that he's had for a year now already. So he's doing a lot of responsible things and, 
he's got a lot of friends, which is always good to see. He's recently going for a breakup and we're going through all that sort of stuff too. Um, my stepdaughter, Kiara, 13 years old, going on 16. It's just, that's some crazy time. Girls are so much harder, <laughs> but um, she's just so beautiful. And she's just, I think she accepted me faster than her mother did when I came on the scene. <laughs> she is just um, a beautiful soul. And I'm really lucky to have both of those children in my lives. Um, they've taught me a lot of things to be able to um, put onto my two little ones now. Um, we also have my partner's sister, Danny, who three kids as well. We've got Jacob, who's 13, going on, you know, he's 13. He's just finding himself, figuring out what he likes and what he doesn't like. And yeah, it's just, he's, he's crack up himself. Um, we've got Jasmine next. She's, she's 11 and man, she's, she's a beautiful soul too. She's our, she's our little winter of the family, but <laughs> she's the most cleanest out of all of them. But she's, she's such a beautiful young girl too, and I think she's going to go a lot of, uh, very far in her life. Um, we also have Noah next. He's nine, and he's a whole other ball game, man. He just brings a whole other level to Alfano, and he's just that, that, that tutu kid that you've got to tell every day to stop swinging on the chair to help out with this. Yeah, but he, he's beautiful in himself too. He, he's just got to find himself and figure out how to, to be a team, like I said earlier. And from there, we have my, my two kids as well, um, Kasten, who's three, and Keanu, who's one and a half. And, man, they're just going through all of that. <laughs> we just know what to expect coming up next through all those stages. So I really I really think um, those kids are really giving us a good idea on what's what's coming up next for our little ones at the moment. They'll probably look back and say, oh, you spoil, spoil those kids more than we did, you know, with us. But that's just how it is in life. We improve. We keep improving. We always make sure we improve in our life um but yeah that's just a just a little rundown of, of our whanau and now that we've moved into our new whare and it's been a year and a half in the making of building through COVID time as well and that was yeah that there's a whole whole corridor there too <laughs> yeah i guess well before we dive into the um being a homeowner through through COVID what advice would you have for any parents out there who are um, coming into a, a whānau that already exists, um, as well as uh, people who are just starting up their own whānau and they've got their first kid and they're not too sure what to do? What, what advice would you have for them? Really, it's, it's okay to get angry. It's okay to feel like it's not working. It's okay to feel all those negative feelings that come with it. But the thing is that, there's something beautiful because of it. You have this beautiful child that's, or children that you have come, they come into your life. They may be yours. They may be someone else's. But the thing I always try and remember is that I'm there as much as they are there for me. Um, they've, like I said before, they've given me so much in my own life, as well as I've given them a lot of, as well. But I, I look at it in a way that what they've given me is super special and they probably don't know that um, now. Um, hopefully they understand that when they're a bit older that they've really given me a lot of um, lessons about myself, how to deal with like all those um, all those feelings that come up with being stressed as an adult as well as being stressed from a, um, in a family point of view. Um, but it's just something you've got to work through and it's just something that is very beautiful um, throughout all that negative stuff that you may think of at the time because I know it can be hard with those little babies too that are 
crying through the night, waking up every couple of hours, and you're thinking, man, why did we do this? <laughs> but it's just those, uh, it's just still a beautiful thing in the end. You just see these little these little ones grow into the bigger ones, and then those bigger ones becoming adults. And um, I can really see that in my whānau now with each stage that we have. It's just, um, it's just happening so fast too. He's got to remember that they're only little for uh, for once, one time, and they get older, and then they get even older, and it just flies by in the end. And you just got to remember to take it, um, take it easy, take it day by day. Um, that's really my best advice: is just take it day by day and just fill your own cups too. Um, you can't fill those other cups around you if your your cup that you have isn't full. And by you know finding your own thing, your own thing that gets you your own passion whatever that may be, myself is my jiu-jitsu. That really helps me ground myself, um, helps me with my um, any anxieties I have, any kind of bullshit through the day, all that sort of stuff really helps me filter that through, I guess, and makes me a better person when I get home. Um, so really finding time for yourself really helps as well, if you can manage to do so. Um, Modi or a brother, that's some amazing advice Yeah. Uh right there whānau so if you are just starting a whānau or you're already in one take it easy take some time and another thing i kind of picked up is just to take it in you know those moments don't last forever so take it in now as you previously said you're a new homeowner you built your own home you own some land so mildly getting land back um how how was that whole process what was it like to begin with it was pretty straightforward like we decided that we wanted to be independent and, you know, start paying our own mortgage off rather than someone else's with the rent um, side of things. And we realized that having three incomes in the house can really help with that. And that's probably the only way we could have to, to begin with, um, especially with our previous jobs, the previous mahi from all of us. We've all moved on to something better now. Um, <clears throat> from then on, like finding... Finding somewhere that will help you, like with Platinum Homes is who we went with. Um, they were really amazing. They um, got our plans and what we could do. You know, then you've got to go through the bank and see what you can borrow and all that sort of stuff too, all that stuff there. Um, from there, the hard part was finding where we wanted to be and what will fit us. Because like I said, big whānau, we need to figure out something that suits us rather than trying to find something that will, you know, we could try and suit for ourselves. But we wanted to build first off because we couldn't really find anything around that would suit us and, and what would be functional so we really went on to looking for for land and that took the longest time was really trying to find somewhere that was affordable uh, fit our our, um, our our lives at the moment um, <clears throat> and we're quite lucky to actually find that after and how long was it? it was probably about a year until we actually found some land that we wanted to yeah this is probably perfect for us we'll see how this goes so we started that process um all the bank side of stuff lawyers it's huge man it, you don't really realize until how much or how much is into it until you get into it and now we we have that experience now but um just going through the lawyers all the fees that come with it too you don't really understand that having 30 minutes of a lawyer's time could be so much <laughs> um from then, you know, then it was the building process and the building process took us, like I said, a year and a half to really get into where we are now. And during COVID times, there was a lot of holdups, a lot of price increases. Um, Platinum Homes really 
um, committed to getting us in there and they, they said that they were going to get us in there at this price that they gave us and they didn't put any of those extra um, prices on us when they did come to that time, which we're real thankful for. Um, but yeah, at the start of people were like, oh, it's kind of, it's so stressful building a house. And at that time I was like, no, we're just cruising. We're just doing our normal day to day life. And I was like, what are they talking about? You know, and my partner was doing a lot of stuff, a lot of the form forms and stuff for us. So she had a little bit of stress there. Uh, but it wasn't really until we got to the moving in the, you know, when, when is this going to happen? We didn't know really have a, have a date on when we we're going to be in. It would just keep getting pushed back and pushed back. Um, which we understand is just what part of the part of the game. And um, once we did figure it out, um, I think it was a Wednesday, we had a hui in our new whare, and they said, you can move it on Friday. And we're like, wow, okay, <laughs> where's this come from? Um, at that time, my baby was in hospital with some, some skin condition and stuff, and so there was a lot of stress going on there. Um, he was in there for a week and then we're moving as well, moving 10 of us then trying to clean the other house too, to make sure that the next person in there is, is, is you know, sufficient for them. And then the whole move process and you were part of that too, bro. And I really thank you for that. All the hands on deck for that one. Um, getting everyone over in there, getting everything sorted. And, uh, that's where the stress really comes from. Um, is that sort of end of the line. You're almost there. You don't know. If, the, if it's going to happen or when it's going to happen, but it's just it just popped up for us and we um, we really got in there and had to have a lot of help from our whānau around us and our friends, which we've always been, you know, we always um, appreciate and we know that we can rely on people like that too. So that leaning on those people around us really helped us because, you know, we couldn't do it ourselves and um, that's just, that's where that stress came from was that. And then actually getting in the house and, you know, making it yours too, which was, took some time to get used to you had we had no curtains when we got in there the first night we we slept on the floor on our mattresses had none of nothing like that we didn't have internet for a good two months and you know and right then and there it was just a whole lot of changes that we had to get adapt to around us and then you know we're slowly making it ours though which i finally see now that as we're making it our fuddy we're making it ours we're making the land around us ours as well and, and that takes some time i think it takes the land some time to get used to us as well um, the whenua itself, got to get used to those. There's this new tribe that has come along and stuck their po in the ground and making it theirs. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's it's been beautiful and it's something I never thought I'd be able to do was to to build my own fare, to build our own fare for our family. Um, so I'm just absolutely blessed in that aspect. Um, I think I will. I think there's. Um, I think all our family feels the same way, um, even though the kids didn't enjoy the no no internet for two months <laughs> it was can you hotspot me can you uh give me some data and we're on the phone trying to figure out what's going on Where, where's the internet what's happening but um that's just <laughs> that's just the process i guess um but yeah hopefully that answers that question my brain yeah no 100 percent. it sounds like it's been a roller coaster of a journey the whole way through it <laughs> so i guess speaking on that roller coaster of a journey would you do it again? Would Are you going to expand and continue to um, head down that property owning revenue? Yeah, so that's one thing we discussed pretty much when we first started this was what's going to happen next. Really, this isn't going to be our forever home. We want this to be the stepping stone onto the next fighter that we want to build. So, you know, my partner's realistically thinks we're probably, you know, eight years maybe, eight to ten years. She reckons five, but I think 
don't know about that one. <laughs> but um, we want to do it again. Um, and then eventually, you know, with that next place that we go to, um, do two dwellings so that um, me and Sam can have our whare and then Danny can have her whare. And we're still part of the same tribe, though. But, you know, we've got our own spaces. That's kind of the dream in the end, going off the first dream of actually owning a home in this economy um, and building one, in fact, um, but we want to do it again, definitely, and um, go from there to be able to give give both of our whanos their own space um, eventually. But by that time, hopefully, we've got a few kids going out of the house, so it's a little bit easier. <laughs> Bro, I don't think so. If they know you're going to buy another house, I'm staying. I'll stay in this one. You had the new one. <laughs> oh, no, awesome. And you previously said a little bit earlier that you use jiu-jitsu as your escape place um, as your peace of mind how important is it to have your own thing and so hundred uh, percent you got to have your own own outlet really it's, I think it's the best way to describe it your own outlet it's you know it can be part of your whanau it can be whatever it is that makes you happy really and and using that to help you get through life really I that's how I explain it um Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu I actually found because of you, my bro. You know that. Um, I was at a point in my life where I really needed to find something that I enjoyed. And at the time, I was into UFC and really enjoyed the ground stuff there. And um, I approached you because I knew that you were doing that for once upon a time. And I got the details from you about Southern Tribes and Motorua. Um And from then on, I came along to, a, I think it was a Friday session, which was an MMA session. First one, first one, and I got kicked in the head, and I thought, man, this is awesome. <laughs> um, so that was that was really the start of something beautiful. Um, I stayed because of the MMA, and then I was like, yeah, this is cool, and then got invited to stick around for jiu-jitsu, and that's when really the passion stuck. Um, I really saw something quite amazing because I would be paired up with this yeah, smaller guy than me, um, and he was just mopping the floor with me. You know, he would get on my back and be making me tap, and I was – and choked out by this smaller guy than me. I was like, what's going on? And, which is really great because it just really deflates that ego because you, you just can't you can't lie on the mat, say it really shows um, if you've got any bullshit there, it's, it shows it on the mat, bro. And, and I really have to thank you for that, bro, and for, for showing me and, and guiding me to that place because that's really been a, a backbone for me in my life um, throughout all the roller coasters we talked about earlier from that relationship to um, just – childhood trauma and all that sort of stuff that came from there um really just even just your life you know the life stresses that can just be all taken away when someone's trying to choke you out you know you don't really know um worrying about what's happened during the day when you got to worry about the person in front of you and being in the now really um so that was back in 20, 2014 i think early 2014 so it's almost been you know nearly nearly Nine years, ten years. Um, I received my black belt in, in March, um, so that right there was just a huge mental thing for me as well to be realizing that I'm this at this level that I never thought I'd be at as well. Um, you know, I think the most time I've ever had off the mats was you know a couple of months when my babies were born, um, and now really I'm just trying to find balance between it all. Um, you know, balance between jujitsu and, you know, I instruct there, the, the kids' classes, the adult classes are really, really part of that um, culture there. But also trying to balance it with my home life, my work life, 
um, and anything else like that too. Just yeah, just trying to make the balancing act work. And with jiu-jitsu, um, I need to get back into it. Look at me, I look like a ball of Play-Doh. <laughs> but with jiu-jitsu, I find that it, it's such a beautiful sport. It's, it's so artistic in the sense that you've got to know not everything, but you've got to at least have an understanding of where you are in your own head and your own way to it before you step onto the mat. Do you have any experiences where that's played a, a huge part in what you do on the mats? Yeah, I definitely. Um, like I said, you could have the stresses from the day or the week or whatever's on your mind, um, and that, that affects you. The first hardest part is getting through those doors. Um, sometimes that's the mental part is getting there um, to deal with that. Um, with that adversity and it, it really should build up a lot of resilience when you do go through those doors for the first time and then continuing that is the is the hard part because you know you, you you get this new new um, passion that you're really into um but it's it's one of those things that's a lifelong journey rather than just a short time to really um you know they like my, my coach Penna simpson um has just been a huge um name and in Aotearoa for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He spent a lot of time really um, pushing that around the country. So uh, a lot of places really have to thank him and a few others to um, to really bring that into the country, first of all, and um, to make it what it is today because it's a very popular uh, martial art these days, not just with the popularity of UFC and everything like that, but um, MMA and that, but just in the country itself, it's just been huge. There's competitions all the time now. There's heaps of um, gyms, even in New Plymouth, there's some, some heaps of gyms there um, and just around the country too. And there's a lot of uh, experience in the country here as well, um, which is what couldn't happen without someone like him. So we really got to um, give our juice to him as well because he's, yeah, he's, he's one of those um, people that you really that know everyone in the game too. So, you know, he's just that, that kind of person. Um, <clears throat> from there, you know, um, as like I said, I'm black belt now, but they say it just starts from there. You know, you start again at black belt, it's like a white belt that just stuck around too long. <laughs> um, you know, you find what works for you and then you start to delve into the other side of things and then that's just a whole other game there. First of all, you know, you, you're white belt, you're just surviving. You're really just trying to survive. You're trying to um, not get choked out and not trying to get your arm broken or, you know, and then blue belts the same. You just, you know, now you've got these white belts behind you trying to take you out. And then you've got the purple belts in front of you taking you out too. So you're still trying to su survive in a sense, but you've stuck around long enough to know what to do. And then you've got your purple belt where you really just refine, you know, you've found what your game is, um, what you tend to do. Brown, brown belt, you're just really refining that, that game that you've built along this, this time that you've put on the mat. And then when you get to black, it just starts all over again, really. You just uh, yeah, like you said, you stuck around too long. <laughs> but um, uh, it's been it's just been a great outlet for myself. And now that with my Fano too, a lot of them have taken on jujitsu in their lives. Um, my you know the little ones have too. Um, the older ones do were there as well, and they've you know they're finding balance in their life too. And hopefully they come back and it will always be there for them. Um, that's the main thing that they they know that will always the mats will always be there when they're ready to come back and. Um, I think it gives a lot of confidence in yourself um, going through those sort of um, any kind of martial art I feel has is, is, um, got its own weight in gold um, and whatever that is, is um, it all has its place 
and I think that um, it's a lot of mental a mental game first off you know like I said getting through those doors is the hard part and then staying on the mat is the hard part too but then all that sort of stuff comes along when you um, when you stick around long enough and yeah Pinner Simpson he, he's another white and a legend um, yeah that club Southern Tribes is amazing they've done so much for so many people uh, myself included before I went to university I did go there I was a lot leaner back then you used to play guard I'm probably a top player now <laughs> I don't think I'm pulling guard anytime soon but no those um the way you described the belts and, and the level system there reminds me very much of university you know you got the white belts nipping at the heels the blue belt become uh, the white belt sorry undergrads nipping at the heels of the blue belts who are your honors and pg dipped students and they're just trying to survive and then once they sort of get closer to that purple belt that's your master's students and then they're sort of nipping at the heels of the purples and the master's students and the master's students are kind of like they have a pukinga now and they have um, an understanding of what research is like that they can defeat those below them or you know they can um, not defeat them because you don't really defeat people in research but you have an understanding of writing and you have an understanding of research now that you can really start putting those skills into practice and you can start putting things together that really make sense and then brown belt is your phd level that's really really well done and then once you go past that then that's kind of your you're a professor associate professor or that's where you do your postdocs in the black belt and stuff like that so there's a lot of relatability there but before we move on to the next do you just want to give a shout out to southern tribes and what times um and where's the locations oh, awesome so for myself um i'm at uh southern tribes on laurie street in motorua um we also have another in wawakaio here in new plymouth as well um with uh, Sam and Gary, um, another amazing um, gym there as well. For our Motoro gang, we uh, we go Monday, Wednesdays for our fundamentals class at 5.30 onwards, and then we also have advanced class after that. Um, Fridays, we usually have a sub-grappling and MMA as well, so MMA is a big part of our, our club as well. Um, the Wawakaya crew operate at the same time too, um, Mondays, Wednesdays, um, usually the same time as well, 5.30 onwards. Um, if you've got any tamariki as well, we also have tamariki classes um, for ourselves. is on a, a Monday and a Friday. Um, Monday's 4 o'clock for our 5 to 7-year-olds, um, 4.35 onwards for our um, 8 to 13 or so. Um, so, yeah, um, same on a Friday too. So um, the best thing I think as well is for our tamariki, eh? it's really, it really um, instills a lot of resilience in our, in our, in our kids. Um, you get these kids that are just starting out, real timid, not too sure what to do. Um, having someone on top of them is not really normal. Um, to you know, a few, few, uh, maybe a year into it, and they've just, um, just some got some massive confidence in their lives, not just on the mat as well. Um, the best ones are those the ones that you think aren't listening. You're trying to teach them, and you you think they're not listening, and. Um, you're like, man, are these kids actually getting it? And then when it comes down to our comp time or our in-house time, we usually have an in-house competition with our Ohawi whanau down in um, South Taranaki, with our Southern Tri whanau down there too. Um, but you just see them um, excel and they actually do the techniques that you've been trying to teach them for the last term or two. And um, it just shows that uh, it's in there. You know, they a lot of kids are just naturally into it and there's the ones that aren't. But um, they all they all find their way in that, and that's what you have to do. Um, but I think it's real beautiful for our for our kids to have something like that for them, 
um, both that physical, um, you know, having physical challenges in front of them, but it's also like we've seen a mental challenge too. Um, but it just instills a lot of good values in them as well. Um, not let alone be trying to be fit and healthy, which is always a um, a big thing, but also just having to deal with the problem in front of you, um, having to deal with it, not go around it. You have to go through it or over it, uh, under it, if you know, depending which way it is. Um, and it all depends on the problem in front of you, and that's what you have to have to deal with at the time. Um, but I think it's a, a beautiful time. So if you have any somebody here that want to get into it or have a have an interest in it, just find your local gym. Um, if it's us, cool. If it's not, you know, that's fine. As long as the best thing is that jujitsu is for everyone, um, and it's made for everyone. You know, there's never a right or wrong answer with jujitsu. It's whatever you write in your book. <laughs> Bro, jiu-jitsu really is for everyone. I had some older, I can't remember his name, but he was a geezer. He choked me out with my own belt. Like, have you ever been disgraced so bad where you get choked? He took my belt off of me. He didn't choke me with his belt. He choked me with mine, wrapped it around my wrist, my neck, and then pulled it, and I was choking myself out. I had to tap out. That's humiliating, man. So it really is E for everyone. Head along. If you can't find anything, Google it. Google's your best friend. Bro. You got in the ring, right? Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience in the ring and, and the processes you had to go through uh, leading up? Yeah, definitely. I've I've had one <clears throat> one MMA fight. I was scheduled for a couple more, um, but life happens. Eh? So my first one was back in 2017. Um, we did about good six months of um, training for it because a lot of it was getting pushed back. Um, I'd have a, I'd have a um, opponent that maybe drop out or there's an injury, you know, that sort of stuff happens. I'm trying to match up to a, you know, something, someone that's at the same level as me or around that same level of um, being in the ring. Um, but the hardest part is the prep, you know, that's, that's where all the hard work goes is in that, um, that fight camp, however long that may be. Ours just happened to be six months. <laughs> um, but um, having the team, around you too you know they say it's an individual martial art or individual sport but really it's um it's a team sport really um you can't do the trainings without extra bodies without those people around you you can trust too that aren't going to injure you um that can be on that journey with you even though they may not be fighting they have to be there to be able to get you on the next level um which is probably the um, that six months was probably the fittest I've ever been and I really needed it at that time, I really did um, just got out of that relationship I got into my my new, my new relationship now with my partner and um, it was something that I really needed in my life um, but it was, uh, yeah, the hardest part is that prep, that, um, that training camp and there's a lot of sweat a lot of tears, a lot of blood you know, a lot of sparring, a lot of everything um, but just that you just need it to be able to, you know, train hard but fight easy. Um, I fought uh, in Auckland at the ABA Stadium, um, which is usually a boxing gym, a, a boxing stadium, sorry. And um, yeah, that that experience right there was huge. Um, but the main thing was being prepped for it. Um, I faced the guy Stanley from Auckland. He was a bit older than me, but he he was um, he was a tough opponent. Um, got in the, you know, the the hard part is. A few days beforehand, we travelled up to Auckland, got out, got into a hotel or Airbnb or whatever it was, and I just remember that the day before, just staying in the hotel room, not doing anything else, just chilling out, trying to get in the zone, man. But I was just 
shitting myself. <laughs> it's that, those nerves, that mental game again, you know, that was, it was huge. And, um, yeah, we, I remember just resting the day beforehand, um, weighing in the, the, sorry, the night beforehand, weighing in, um, just sort of scoping out the, the opponents and doing your weigh-ins, your face-offs and stuff like that. And right then I was nervous as hell as well, being in front of all these people, um, doing my weigh-in, weigh-ins and then standing in front of this person that we're going to, you know, go to war with, um, right in front of you. And there's, but there's always, there's nothing but love for that sort of level. Um, you may see it on UFC where it's a lot of, um, a lot of shit talk and a lot of trash talk, but, um, I find it's not about that. It's a, you know, it's all love in the end. Um, I remember, yeah, so on the fight night, we, you know, it was, I think we got there at five o'clock in the afternoon and, um, my, I think my fight wasn't until 10 o'clock or something like that. It was crazy. You know? We're sitting in the, in the, um, changing rooms, just waiting and trying to get into the zone. And, you know, you would go to the toilet every, every hour. Cause you, you know, all the nerves are coming on. <laughs> um, but then I just remember how oh, at the ABA, it's a real short walk-in. So you don't really, you know, you cut, yeah, got steps, go around the corner of the, the ring and you're in there. So it's not very long walk, but I just remember hearing, the, the song I picked at the time going off and just trying to zone into that, um, getting into the ring, have a feel out and then just, yeah, starting that bell rings and it's just adrenaline, adrenaline dump, man. I just remember just being completely tired, just having a massive adrenaline dump and just, I was like, what do I do with this person in front of me? And he was a, he was a big guy too. And he was throwing. And I just remember one, it only lasted one round, but I remember he hit me once right on my ear and just rung my bell and that really woke me up. And I just remember, I just got to start to swing, swing, swing. And then I just like, breathe. Okay, bring it back in. We sort of felt each other out again. And then I just remember him going, pushing him into the ropes, leading with my left, hitting with my right, leading with my left again, and just throwing this big right hand right into this um, perfect spot on his jaw. And he just dropped. And I just from there, I just remember going in, just going in, going in, and then I'm just getting pushed by the, the ref to, to stop. And then I just, man, I just had this massive emotion, this, I hit the ground, I screamed, I could hear, even though I was in Auckland, I had this, we had this uh, really good support crew there too from, from Namutu and Waitara as well. Um, just going to the corner and just going into my coach's arms and just trying to relax again, trying to bring that, all that uh, realm of two um, back into the realm of Rungo. But um, yeah, it's just a huge experience, man. And I just really wish I had a couple more before I started having some children because Right then and there is, like I said, a balancing act too. I, I was training a lot for that, and I know I can't do that with little ones in my family or even just my family in general because um, they need my time more than anything right now. Um, but I hope to get back into it again one day, um, one day soon, once my kids are old enough to not have dad around every night. <laughs> um, but that'll come, and that's not, not something I'm too worried about right now. But I have had the chance to support um, our our, you know, our tribe that I have fought on other cards as well. My bro Johnson, he um, fought on the same card as me that night too. It was his first one. He got the win as well. He went the distance though, and he's just a warrior. You know, he was a warrior. Um, he also had a few more fights after that, and I got to be there on his side in the ring with him, you know, next to him, and just give him that support too. And, and right then and there, like I said, it's a it's a team sport in the end. You need your team to bring to be there for you, um, to to be in your corner to look out for you. So yeah, that's just a, just what it is with the MMA game. You need your team around you. 
one of the biggest recurring themes throughout this whole conversation has been um, having a team or having a whānau unit. How does one sort of get into a space where they just happen to keep finding themselves in, in a different kind of whānau unit because you've got Southern Tribes, that's a whānau unit. You have your actual whānau, that's a whānau unit. Then you've got some good friends and stuff that are also considered as a whānau unit. How, how do you sort of navigate those spaces and how do you know which one's the right one for you? Um, I find that really what does it bring to you? Um, so with like jujitsu, we found that it's a common thing. You know, there's a common space that we're there for. You have you have people that come from all different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different religious um, thoughts, everything like that. They all come together for this common ground. Um, and if it's positive, that's that's really what I see it as. If it's positive, then it's um, something that's that you know you can have in your life. Um, if you're there for the wrong reasons, then really, um, what are we doing it for? Um, with Mofano, you know, that's that's uh, I think that's more lucky than anything <laughs> to be able to have that on my back. Um, you know, meeting my beautiful partner and the the whānau she brought to me um, is just something that you can't really you just find, I guess, if you're lucky enough. I know I consider myself lucky with that. Um, just the that's just beautiful, and I this just has my heart there. Um, you know, you just surround yourself with people that have like-minded um, values as well as you as well, um, and that's that's how I navigate it. I'm just trying to find the balance between it all too. Again, uh, and that's just probably a big thing with this is life is just one big balancing act with everything around you, um, whether that be your personal life, your work life, your hobbies, your passions. Um, just finding the balance between it all and what that looks like. It's up to you. It's part of the journey. That's how I feel. No, me, me. That's solid advice right there. So this whole co-popper is called 99 Dreams. This is the 99 Dreams podcast. What were some of your dreams and aspirations growing up? So you talked about what did you want to be, but now let's try and talk about what did you dream about becoming and, um, you know, what were some of your dreams? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Um, when I was younger... You know, I wanted, you know, when I was in primary school, I want to be a builder, you know, stuff like that and nothing really too serious. It's just, you know, something that you kind of have when you're younger. But when I was about in high school, I had a real massive passion for basketball. I thought I wanted to go far in there. That was a dream of mine to be to be a basketball player, you know. Um, having people like um, Aaron Noll, auntie, um, he was a good mentor for me when I was growing up with basketball. He was just, you know, he put a lot of time into our Watada team and our whānau there. Um, so he was someone I really looked up to in that aspect. Um, but, you know, that's that, that dream is not for everyone. Um, as I got older, I think I got really into music, into um, DJing, DJing and stuff like that. So um, I spent a lot of time figuring that side out and I thought oh, I want to be a massive international DJ and create music and all that sort of stuff. And um, that just wasn't for me in the end, but I, that's just how I've learnt. You know, you've, those those all give different um, lessons in life. Um, now, I think more realistically, dream wise, I just want to make sure that my family's provided for. Really, that's a huge dream. Um, just to make sure that financially they're sound, um, health wise they're sound. They've got everything they need. Um, and just dream that they're, they're good people. I think that's really my dream 
now as an adult, um, and I think that's more of a realistic dream, I guess, from having dreams in the past that weren't really too realistic, I guess. Uh, but that's what a dream is, right? You just you dream big. And right now, I just think it's just something I want to make sure that my whanau's looked after, even if I may be gone, you know, that they're looked after and they have everything they need in their life. Um, that's a huge dream of mine. Um, and I think that'll be a dream that continues to keep growing. You know, I, I hope to never achieve that. So it's always getting better, you know. So that's, I think that's a, um, a, a dream of mine, really, just to pro- make sure that my whanau is safe and provided for even if I'm gone. You know, that's such a, an amazing dream to have, you know, to be able to fulfill that. I feel like that must be every parent's dream to be able to make sure that their tamariki are safe, no matter what happens. And so I guess, you know, going off of that, if you could go back in time and tell your younger self something, maybe we'll go with 16 year old you, what would you tell 16 year old you? Hmm. Yeah. What would I tell myself? Hmm. I think really think about yourself a little bit, be a little bit selfish. It's okay to be selfish at that age. Um, I've always been huge into, you know, with my, with my immediate family, my mum and dad and the, my aunties and uncles around me, my cousins. I grew up, I, I was an only child, so um, I didn't have any brothers and sisters, but I grew up with um, my cousins who were around the same age, the Partingtons. Um, they were, they really grounded me in that aspect. You know, I wasn't, I may have been a little bit spoiled as a, as a kid, but they really grounded me in that aspect. You know, I had to share with my cousins. I was always over their house. So I was looked after by them a lot. Um, so looking back at 16 year old self, um, I really, I think really, I would have told him to really look at your options around you. Um, like we sort of delved in earlier, um, never knew what I wanted to do, but I really wish I had applied myself to, look what was around me. Um, I said, have a look at this, try this out. Just keep trying, try this, try that, try this. Um, not saying that the journey I have was bad now, but, um, it would have just given me some insight to, um, try new things, try different things when I was younger, rather than trying it when I'm older and catching up like we talked about earlier. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably the main thing I'd tell them was, yeah, don't get stagnant. Keep trying, keep moving forward, keep paddling that walker somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> whoever wherever they may be you might find something great bro 100 eh? it's, it's always you know hindsight but it's always great to reflect on looking back and just things if you could in an ideal world you know do differently or how would that shape who you are today and i guess those lessons that it's who we are now so going on a similar path to that in the future when you come back and look at this what would you like to say to your future self and then have something to reflect on? Mm, that is a very good question. Um, I'd probably say, no, did we, are we doing it right? Are we keeping to our kaupapa that we are now about providing, you know, looking after ourselves, first of all, filling, have you filled your cups before you filled everyone else's? Cause, um, I've really had to, um, I've learned a lot with my past mahi to look after myself because I was really draining myself trying to um, trying to work this work this mahi out. But um, uh, I've really had to look at myself and again try to fill my cup every time. And it's, am I keep on doing that? Am I am I that person still? I just hope that I um, and which in turn makes me a better person for the people around me. 
I just hope that I keep on that same papa as I'm older and hopefully he's that same person. <laughs> and do you have any advice for your future self? Yeah. Um, can't say I was going to go off the top of my head here. Um, just keep on, keep on, keep on keeping on, bro. <laughs> now I think, um, I'm not too sure about that one, bro. Okay. The point. That's okay. Um, I guess the next question then, which was going to come off of that is what was a moment in your life that's really impacted your life the most? So what was just one of those events that just really made a huge impact? It could be positive. It could be a negative. Just, I'd say it's probably a, a few things, mostly to do a whanau again. I was losing my, a lot of my whanau, you know, um, biggest one for me when I was younger, when I was about 14, was losing my cousin David. You know, he was in the army. He um, was training to be a driver and was in an accident and lost his life. And I think that really was a huge, huge impact for me, um, especially at that age. He was like my brother, my big brother. Like I said before, I, I spent a lot of time with that whanau. Um, you know, they looked after me when mum was at work, mum and dad's at work. I'd go there, come back before school and after school. Um, so losing David was um, huge, you know, and, and there was a time there that we were losing um, a, a person in our whanau um, once every every February, every February, March, you know, that sort of happened. Um, started off with a great uncle, started off, and then it went to my, my nanny, my, my great auntie, I used to call her nanny. Um, so losing those people um, really had a huge impact on me, I think. And I think that's why I try and stay so close to, to the fun I have now, um, which has really impacted me. Um, yeah, so losing David was huge. Um, my papa after that, um, Uncle Kent, losing him as well. So losing those loved ones around me really um, impacted me. And I actually... Um, tribute them on my on myself on my skin on the tattoos and my and stuff like that to to remember them and to create corridor around them when anyone asks so they're always with me i've got one here for uncle kent i've got one here for david i've got one here for my nanny i've got one here for my papa i've got one here for my great uncle you know um so if you're on this left arm you probably passed away <laughs> but um i think that's that's probably some of the biggest impactful things in my life and you, you could say it's it's negative, but it's something we have to go through um, as as people. We have to go through that side to get on that other side. Um, so I was I was quite um, not used to. It, I don't think it was a word. I was quite. Um, I had some experience with losing people, and and I think that had the biggest effect on well impact on me in my life, and sort of made me who I am today. Nah, hard and loss is something that we all go through, but it, it's difficult every time. Uh, I don't even think you really can get used to it. No. Um, I think you can get accustomed to it, but I don't think you could ever get used to it. Uh, but as they say, it is a part of life, you know. I guess a question is, you know, how do you manage that? You know, how do, how do you, like you said, you've got um, tattoos on your arm to keep their memory alive you know what other things do you do to celebrate their life um lean on the phone i have around me really the ones that are still here the ones that knew them as well um like 
with my Paddington Fano, we still get together every year at that time of year when he did pass away or was close to his birthday as well. We make sure that we spend time remembering them. You know, we've got to remember those ones behind us, our tupuna, all that sort of stuff. We have to come back to them at some point. Um, but having it in a positive way, not always being in a negative, and it takes time. Um, like someone told me, is there's no time limit on grief. Um, whether if you're having struggles with that, and, and it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. Um, but really surround yourself with people that feel you, what you're feeling, have that common ground, and um, go from there. And that, that, that can be real beautiful in, in a sense. Um, that's what's really helped me is leaning on my whanau, um, leaning on those ones that were close to them as well. So we, we can remember them together, and we're not doing it alone. Because um, that's probably one of the hardest things to do it by yourself. You know, it's one of the hardest things in life, and to do it by yourself is just just incredible if you can. Um, but in saying that, it's nothing wrong with leaning on those ones around you, and that's really helped me um, open up as a person as well. Um, I can be quite emotional as well as sometimes, um, but we need to normalise that as well. We need to normalise people opening up, especially our, um, our our males, our our young males as well. Um, I'd rather, you know, rather have you call on me than me having to go to your tangi or your funeral. You know, that's that's really what it should be about, and making that normal. And it's and it's only just getting realised now that that's something that we need to um, instill in our young our young men, um, especially in, in Aotearoa, because um, that that number there is just it's just that's not right, and there needs to be something. Um, done, you know, for our young males to be able to get through that sort of stuff. Um, and that's one one thing I love about my mahi too that I do now is I can be that support person for those young young people um, that may not have it at home, that may not have it around them. And um, and, and 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 saying that it's just yeah, it's that's probably um, the, the thing there. And so yeah, Fano, a hundred percent. It's okay not to be okay, and definitely reach out whenever you need anything even if you're watching this on youtube and you're not feeling good don't drop a comment below send us a dm go on instagram uh my emails on the website so send it through 100 we're here to help um we don't like seeing anyone go through struggle and it is it is a lot harder for tani for for males to get that off their chest it's especially here in aotearoa it's so much bro what are you up to get over it yeah, act like a real man. Be a real man. Stand up for yourself. That ain't, you know, all that shit blows over. You're all goods. You're all goods, eh? It's a real staunch attitude here in Aotearoa. How have you been able to sort of change that within your own whanau? Because it, it's hard to do it at, at the community level and out there in Tao, but I guess starting at least within your own whanau and then they'll be able to help others in, in, in time so yeah how, how would you be able to um so with like our children we always try to make sure that we're always open and honest with them um you know to make sure that they can come to us with anything anything at all um and and that's really helped our teenagers i think is the best time where that should be applied um or even earlier on so to create that as a habit i guess but um to have that when they're older to be able to come to you to to so, say what they're going through. Um, like I said, my, my son has gone for a breakup and he's, he comes straight to his mum and us to, 
to get that support. And I think right then and there, it's just, and it's a skill really to be able to do that, to be able to um, open up to the ones closest to you. Um, so that's probably one thing we do as a, as me and, me and my partner and also her sister is making sure that our kids are free to speak, to make sure that uh, we're open to whatever they may be going through. Um, especially our teenagers who are going through a lot of different stresses in life that we may not know about and may not really understand right now, but having it so that they have a place to be able to do it safely and, and with no judgments, um, just being there for them. And I think that's really where to start, especially if you have a young whanau, is to just be open and honest about everything, a lot of things. You know, there's some things that you may need to wait till they're a bit older, which is just normal. Um but having it so that they can express themselves to you and not being afraid or not hiding things from you. Um, and that's, and that's one thing that we do really well, I think is making sure that they have that space. I mean, and that's 100% of it. Just listening and letting them know that they're heard and, you know, being ready to accept that when it comes and not being so quick to, Oh, well, you should have did this. Oh, you should have did that. Cause you know, a lot of times it's hard enough for them to come up and, you know, be open and create that space for dialect to be shared. Um, so nah, you guys are, you guys are setting the benchmark, man. <laughs> oh, hey, man, this has been an awesome court at all. I'm conscious of the time. So, yeah. um, I mean, we could be here all day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Fano, this isn't the last you'll see of JW either. I'm, I'm vlogging our next basketball game on Tuesday. <laughs> You're going to see how trash I am. We are. <laughs> I think there's only, like, one decent player on our team. Oh, and that changes every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, bro, do you have any anything you'd like to say before you leave? So, yeah, like I said, we've talked a lot of points today. Um, and some of it's just scratching the surface. Um, but the biggest thing is, like we just, just touched on before, is that corridor around... Um, opening up to those around you, those ones that you can feel trusted with. I think if we leave anything today is just to make sure that we um, have each other's back and whoever that may be, um, those ones that you trust. And yeah, I think that's the, the positive um, quote it all there um, just to take from here. Um, we've gone through all my life and a lot of parts of my life, I should say, and what's really um, turned to the person who I am today, but there's all lessons there for everyone to take away. If you, yeah, if you feel the same way, um, and we can always go into it another time. You know, that's always an option. Um, we can just go into certain subjects that we've t talked about and go delve into further than that. But yeah, just just making sure that we have open corridor all there. Nah, awesome. And like you just said, Fano, if you guys want to see a little bit more of J-Dub, let us know down in the comments below. It doesn't matter when you start listening to this, uh, whether you're listening to it when it drops or whether you're late to the party and you're jumping on a few years down the track. It doesn't matter. If you want to hear a little bit more, we'll make sure to get him back. But it's not the last you'll see of him. You'll definitely see him around in the vlogs. I'm bringing this on Saturday. <laughs> so, yeah, so the podcast is where we're going to keep things a little bit more serious and the vlogs where we can do a little bit more fun. Yeah. But no, I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast today, sharing your thoughts and your whakaaro with us. Uh, truly blessed and privileged to have you come on, bro. My first guest, my second podcast. So yeah, truly um, so thankful that you're here, man.
Namahi, my bro. It's, that's a good learning for both of us, eh? So it's um, just getting up and to do something like this is out of my comfort zone, you know, and I'm, I'm really um, open to trying new things like this and, um, you know, just to show those around us that it's okay to try something new, you know, and, and that's really, if you're not good at talking, that's okay. We can get it out of you somehow. <laughs> but cheers, Brian. Thank you for having me. Um, I enjoyed this. It was really good. I really enjoyed this, Brian. Thank you for having this um, forum here for us to be able to record it all and, and document it too. Yeah. Cheers, my brain. Oh, bro, always, the door's always going to be open. Uh, likewise to anyone else wanting to jump on the 99 Dreams podcast with me, Rawuri, you're more than welcome. Let me know. Again, hit me up with the DMs. Uh, you can go find my website, and then my email address will be on there, so you can hit me up there. I'm always available, always keen to have new guests come on. So if you're interested, head over and join us on live. Here's an opportunity because this is going to be documented and your kids can come and hear this later on. So would you like to say anything to them when they're old enough to maybe watch this back one day? Go easy on me, please. <laughs> Don't be all cringy like you do all the time, eh, Kiara? <laughs> no, but um, it's always nothing but love, eh? That's the main thing. Yeah, we always, we've always loved our, we always love our kids and um, we always, everything we do is for them, is for you guys. Um, from having the house to um, making you do chores all the time, you know, all this stuff. We're just trying to make you good people and hopefully you're a good person and we'll go from there. Well, Modi Autofano, thanks for sticking around. Tune in next time. We'll have some more guests and some more fun. Thanks again to Jada Waiwuri, a.k.a. Jada, for coming on the show. Take care, everybody. Kākete. Kākete.